Listen, we're going to go ahead and jump right on into the Word and do a little Bible study together. Is that cool? Now, sometimes, especially used to when I first started preaching, I would like to, sometimes I would like to get in the Bible and just read the weirdest scripture I could find, just to freak people out, and then preach from that. So that's what I'm going to do this morning, amen? Uh, Deuteronomy 25, I'm going to read some verses, uh, Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 through 9, and then I'm going to let you wonder about what in the world I'm getting ready to preach, and then I'm going to try to bring it together. Does that sound good? Amen. Uh, Deuteronomy 25, verse 5. Listen to this. It says, If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as his wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed to the name of his dead brother that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. But if the man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of, his, of the city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm and says, I do not want to take her, then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders. Listen to this. I love it. Remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face, and answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. So shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house. That's what I want to preach about is building my brother's house this morning. Building my brother's house this morning. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word and we believe God, that your word is always profitable, God. It, it strengthens us, it teaches us, it instructs us, it encourages us. And so I pray this morning that you would just breathe fresh life onto it, Lord. And Jesus, we are your church, we're your people, and you love your church, your bride. And God, you wash us with the water of your word. So I pray, Lord, that you would wash us this morning, that we would leave here refreshed, encouraged, and strengthened to do your will in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the things that I've been, that I've been thinking about this week and, and, and thinking about this, this particular message and, and, and as the Lord was, was giving me this. Now this is something that I've actually, the Lord shared with me a long time ago and so I've always meditated along these lines. But this week in particular I was thinking about how whenever, whenever Peter, he, was, he, he saw the resurrected Jesus and Jesus said to Peter, he said, listen Peter, there are some things that if I were to tell you these things now, you would not even be able to handle them. They'd just be too much for you. They'd be outside of your mindset. They'd be outside of your worldview and your paradigm. He said, but when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to change the way you think about some things. And, and if you'll remember in the book of Acts, Peter is one day, he's sitting on top of a rooftop and he's praying. And all of a sudden, the, the, the Spirit shows him a vision and shows him all of these animals. And this is for all the vegans out there. He said, to, he said to Peter, he said, rise, Peter, kill and eat, right? But then he says something even more specific to him. He says, you can no longer call common or unclean that which I have cleansed. Because for Peter to, to sit down with a Gentile and eat, to sit down with somebody outside of God's 
people, the designated people of God, the people of Israel. It was an unclean thing for him. He viewed certain people as unclean, as as not worthy of inheriting the promises of God, not able to come into the promises of God. And so for one large part, when he looked at these people and when the Jewish people looked at these other people, they said God was out to get them, but in a different way. Amen? Not in a good way, in a bad way. And so... God makes this declaration to Peter and he says, No longer can you call common or unclean that which I have cleansed. And see, we, we live in an age where I think a lot of people believe that the church is kind of like this angry school teacher who's just around here to scold everybody as much as they possibly can to find all your wrongs and all your faults and pinpoint those wrongs and the faults and pinpoint all of that in the world. But let me tell you something that the church is primarily. The church primarily is that those people of God filled with the Spirit of God to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not bad news. This gospel literally means good news. It means that Jesus Christ has come for every single man that ever lived on the face of the earth and he shed his blood so that they could be forgiven of sin, they could have a new spirit and a new heart and a new mind and find new life in Jesus Christ. That they can get a new start. That because of Jesus, no matter where you've been, no matter how far away you've been from God, God has good plans for you and no matter what you look like now, God says you're better better than what you look like now. Amen. And he's got plans for you and he begins to bring that into perspective and he says, my church are not the people who go around calling out everything that's unclean, but they proclaim the good news that says you can be clean in Jesus' name. You can have a new life. And as a matter of fact, we see something in you that only God sees. See, the church are the people of God who should be able to see the potential in all of humanity. That's, that's, that's what we should be. But the problem is, is we get so focused on the bad things that are going on and the faults that people have that oftentimes even the church... Now, naturally, every human being, I'll tell you, every human being naturally left to themselves, you're more, more prone to criticize, to be judgmental, right? To be indifferent, to be jealous, to get short with people. We're more prone to do that than to find somebody to encourage, to love on, to point out their their strengths and to point out what they're doing good. We would rather point out their weaknesses because oftentimes it makes us feel better about ourselves. Amen? So even in the very beginning, whenever God created man, God created man in Eden, which was a place called... Eden literally meant pleasure. Why? Because they were designed to always experience the pleasure of God. I I should always be experiencing in my life that, you know what, God, God doesn't show up in spite of me or any of that stuff like that. God shows up because he takes pleasure in me. Even on my worst day, he still takes pleasure in me. You know that about yourself? On your worst day when things aren't going well for you, God still takes pleasure in you. He looks at you and smiles and rejoices. Does he want you to stay in that place of your worst day? Does he want you to stay in a sinful condition, in a broken condition? Absolutely not. But it does not change the way he feels about you because he sees the real you deep inside. The problem is with the church is that the church is not spiritual and oftentimes we still see the same way the world sees and we're indifferent, we're very critical, we're extremely judgmental. And and at worst, we are very proud and self-righteous. So we are very good at pointing the finger and blaming others for for the wrong that's going on in the world. And God is saying, no, I've given you my spirit. I've changed something in you. And you're no longer like that anymore. But see, here's the problem. Is that as soon as sin entered the world, as soon as sin entered the world, with Adam and Eve, Adam was afraid. 
See, God was chasing Adam down, but it wasn't to hurt him. It was to remind him. It was to ask him, where are you? You know I created you to have intimate communion with you so that you might always be seeing my face and experiencing my love, but yet you're running from me. And Adam said, I'm afra- I was afraid, Lord. I was afraid that you'd come and you'd find me out. I'd be exposed. So I hid myself from your presence, right? And and this starts to spread, so our relationship with God was messed up. And we thought God was out to get us, which made us run from God, when actually God was coming after us to reunite us into His love. So it messed our relationship up with God. But secondly, you see Adam and Eve, they have two children named Cain and Abel. You you remember what happened. They were offering something to God one day, and, and Abel comes to God and he offers up this the first fruit of his flocks which is a picture of Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lamb. He offered it up to God because he was saying, Lord, the only offering I can give you is that sacrifice of Christ. That's what it's a picture of. That's why when we come and worship, I don't come and worship and say, Lord, bless me because all of the good things that I've done this week. I did so many good things, Lord, and I bring that to you this week. God will not accept that offering. No matter what I do, whether good or bad this week, the only offering that God will accept from me is the worship that I offer Him because I know that there's only good in me because of Jesus sacrificing His blood for me on the cross. But see, the other the problem is, is that Cain, he took this religious mindset and he brought the works that he produced from the ground. It's sort of like offering this, this self-righteousness, that I can be righteous by my own works. You know that no matter how good you are, you'll never become righteous apart from Jesus Christ and putting faith in what He's done for you. You will never become righteous. There are many good people in the world who do many good things, but if they do not put their faith in the sacrifice of Jesus and what He did for us on the cross, they'll never be righteous. No matter how many good deeds they do, they will not enter the kingdom of heaven. They will not have a relationship with God because we cannot offer that. Now, see, what happens is religious people get mad. Cain got mad. He got angry. And it says that he slew his brother Abel. He killed him. You ever had somebody want to kill you over worship music? Man, I've had that happen. You know, you, you mess with people's worship music, especially in certain traditional churches. They'll try to kill you. And, and that, is, that is what happened with Cain and Abel over worship is that Cain got mad over his style of worship and he killed his brother and God comes to Cain and he says, Cain, what what in the world's happened here? Where is your brother? And he said, I don't know. And then he says this, am I my brother's keeper? Now, anytime these things are mentioned early on in Genesis, it's because it's going to set a precedent for us for the rest of our relationship with God throughout the rest of the Bible. He said, am I my brother's keeper? Let me tell you something. You as a Christian, what you are first and foremost is your brother's keeper. You are a lover of God. We love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and our strength. And we love our neighbor as ourselves, which literally means that we become our brother's keeper. Amen? See, but Cain wrestled with that. He said, am I my brother's keeper? And all of a sudden, these things begin to enter in. Jealousy enters in. Comparing ourselves with others enters in. We have this same fear that Adam had, this deep insecurity. And because of our deep insecurity and our fear, we become jealous of others. Pride enters in. We get angry with others. We get short with others. And even in the church among brothers and sisters, we compete and strive with one another. When we ought to be loving one another. And all of this stuff begins to enter in. But see, God is reminding us that, listen, we are not this. We are no longer under the dominion of sin. 
We're no longer under the dominion of sin. We are under grace, which means that God has given us divine enablement to live a transformed life. To show this world that we are the disciples of Jesus Christ because we love one another. That primarily when the world looks at us, they don't say, well, they're Christians because they speak in tongues. Or they're Christians because they go to church on Sunday. Or they're Christians because they gather in small groups sometimes or say a prayer. No, they're Christians because you can tell that they love one another in a way that the world has not even begun to grab a hold of. And God says, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And all of a sudden, God puts his spirit in your heart. And you begin to carry his burden for your brothers and sisters. Ephesians 4.29, I love this verse. This is a very good verse to memorize, right? Ephesians 4.29. It says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Now, some people say, well, that's all right. I don't cuss. This is not talking about cussing, okay? This is talking, that literally, that, that word corrupt means any word that is not effective in actually building a person up. It's just any kind of word. Any word that is coming out of my mouth that is just stagnant and not working and has no real purpose, right? And so he says, let no corrupt, ineffective word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. Edification is one of those big fancy words that literally means I'm building up on top of one another. I'm building a house. I'm building something. He said, for necessary edification, what? That it may impart grace to the hearers. You know what grace is? Grace is undeserved unmerited favor and blessing. It's something that you don't deserve, but I say it to you anyway. You ever do that for somebody? Now, I'm going to tell them what they deserve, honey. You know what I'm saying? Like, we have a different mindset as far as that. But he says, no, you are the church, you are the people of God. And you have the heart of God, and you can look past what's on the surface. You can look past the faults and the brokenness and the mishaps. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sin. And when I look at a person, on occasion, right, I do need to bring correction because the church does bring loving correction. But primarily the way that the church brings loving correction is that it looks past the faults and it looks deep into what a person has the potential to be and it begins to speak into that because some of you right now you're struggling with different things I don't know what you may be struggling with some of you struggle with gossip some of you struggle with lying some of you struggle with sexual addiction some of you struggle with all sorts of different things and I could call those things out but what I could do instead is say that's not who God's created you to be you're a new creation in Christ you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus you've got the spirit of the living God living on the inside of you and greater is he who is in you than he who is in this world I can begin to speak to something on the inside of you that you've not yet experienced. And I can promise you this, just like Donald said, God is out to get you, but he's out to get you in a good way. And what he wants to do is reveal to you what eyes not seen, ears not heard. It's not even entered your heart what God has actually designed you to be. And good Christians can look deep into that and begin to draw out what you were actually designed to be. So, you, so let's, get, let's get to what I was reading here in the beginning. Deuteronomy, these guys, now, now, now notice what it says. Deuteronomy, it says basically that if, a brother, if, if two brothers are living together, and, and let's just say me and Brian were brothers, right? And, 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 Brian, and Brian dies, right? I would have to go to his wife. We'd have to have children. This is messed up, I know, all right? It's scary. Because if we did this in our culture, everybody would be like, man, those people are weird. 
But, but, but then I would have to raise up children to my brother and give them my brother's name so that there would not be death in his house. And they, they, they took it so seriously in, in, in Israel. Among the Jewish people, it was such a serious offense if the brother didn't do this that the woman would come to the, the, her, husband, or her dead husband's brother. They'd meet in public where everybody would watch it. She would take off his shoe spit in his face, and then say, so shall it be done to the man that does not build up his brother's house. Now, thank God we're not in the Old Testament anymore under the Old Covenant. Amen? We're in the New Covenant. Now, this has New Covenant application for us in the sense that the same way they were committed to building up their brother's house, that in Christ Jesus, we must be as committed to building up our brother's house to making sure before even my own house is being built up that I am pouring my life, I'm pouring life and infusion into my brother's house so that when death begins to come in there, because you all all know we've got people in this church, outside of this church, even people who don't go here, right? That we are looking to find the death that has touched their lives and brought some brokenness into their life and we are called to be committed to infusing life and pouring life into them and building their house up. Amen? So this is the commitment that they had made. Now, it says that they would loose off this guy's shoe, spit in his face and say, so shall it be done to the man that does not build his brother's house. You know, whenever Cain killed his brother, essentially God loosed his shoe. He said, you're going to be a fugitive and a vagabond all the days of your life. The curse that came upon him was this aimless wandering where he could never find satisfaction, he could never find peace, he could never find contentment. And do you know that many Christians are like this today? They're always constantly aimlessly wondering for the right church or the right people or the right place or the right home or the right ministry or the right thing. They're aimlessly wondering around why. Because they have not recognized that when you're called to the body of Christ, you're called to a broken thing. You're never going to find a church that is perfect. There's going to be people in your church and among the, that body that is going to be messed up. They're going to be messed up all the time. You're never going to find one where you don't deal with messed up people. You'll never find one where you don't deal with messed up pastors on occasion. Right? You're going to have a struggle with me sometime if you get to know me. My wife told me this morning, sometimes you're just rude. You understand what I'm saying? But here's the thing. We always work through those things. Why? Because we love one another. Love doesn't mean you're perfect. Love doesn't mean that you don't hurt one another sometimes. But it means that you're quick to forgive. You're kind. You're compassionate. You're patient with one another. And you press through because you are willing to give your life for that person. Amen. That's what love is. And when you join a church, see what happens is when things don't work out your way, all somebody has to do is say one negative thing to you and you're gone. Aimlessly wandering. Why? Because here's the thing. God recognized that the first thing that needed to be healed in you was, one, your relationship with Him. You were distant from God. He said, you need to be healed in your relationship with Him. But secondly, what's going to happen is that if I'm healed in my relationship with God, there's going to be healing taking place in my relationships with others. And that's why when difficult things happen in church, rather than run from them, you must face them. Because if you don't face them, you'll never be healed. And two, you'll never grow into the image of Christ. And you'll be aimlessly wandering all around all the time trying to find satisfaction, trying to find where you fit, trying to find where things work. And don't get me wrong, look, I've been to different churches. It's not that God calls us sometimes to move, doesn't he? No, sometimes he leads us. But I'm going to tell you something. I've never gotten to choose where I've been going to church. 
God has always sent me to a place. He's planted me there. There's been times I've wanted to leave and I've stayed because God sent me there. There's been times. You understand what I'm saying here? Sometimes this is a difficult word for people to hear. But I'm following where God wants me to be put. And when I go through difficult times, if I know God has put me there, it helps me to go through those difficult times because I know he's going to use that to shape me. Amen? So oftentimes we fail to discern the Lord's body and we look upon what God has cleansed and willfully call them common or unclean. And as Christians, we end up refusing to pour into the lives of others. Now, we're beginning to start small groups here this month. And we think small groups is a big deal, and I'll tell you why. It's because exactly what I'm talking about, that if you are a Christian, the church is primarily not designed for you to just hoard and be poured into all the time, right? The church is designed for you to be uniquely connected to a body where they are pouring into you and you are pouring into them. And it's reciprocal and it goes both ways. And in a small group, what it gives me the opportunity to do is see people's lives and see the death that is operating in people's lives and begin to pour into them so I begin to build up my brother's house. Amen? And so that's why it's so important to get involved in this to pour into that very same thing. First John chapter 3. Let's look at this for a second because this goes on and talks a little bit more about Cain and Abel. In verse 11 it says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning that we should love one another, not as Cain who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. It says, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life. Because we love the brethren. He's basically saying this is a litmus test to find out if you're a Christian or not. When you become a Christian, something changes on the inside of you. And people that you used to not like, now you love them. You know that you've passed from death to life because you love the brethren. And he says, he who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Now, most people would say, well, you know, we don't hate anybody. But the word there in the Greek is, is literally it means to love less. To love less. To love less than what? To love less than what Jesus Christ has called us to love one another. He says, he who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now listen when it says in verse 16. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. He says, this is love. And anything less than this is not the measure that you've been called to. He says, this is love that he laid down his life for us. And if that same spirit that was working in Jesus Christ is working in us, then we come to a place where we're literally willing to lay down our lives for one another. Are we there yet? Anybody? Because sometimes I question this. I wonder if I'm there yet. I wonder if I'm really willing to lay down my life for my brothers and sisters, if I'm will really willing to lay down my life for the people in this community. And God is saying this is the kind of love that he is wanting us to have. And here's the thing, you know, it, it's very difficult for us to even get involved in, 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 a, in a community of people, much less join a small group. And here's what I'm saying is that if you can't do these small things, how can you possibly grow in this measure of love where God is saying, I want you to come to a place where you'll lay down your life for one another. Amen. See, we are co-laborers with God and, and what happened with Cain and Abel is God came to Cain and he said, your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. Now some of you, 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 know, you know, you may have been hurt by a church. 
It happens a lot, and it's a difficult thing, and I hate when it happens, and I will apologize for you, for the, or for the person that hurts you. Because, listen, I, I know that I've offended people before. I've offended people by the things that I've said behind the pulpit, whether they were right or wrong, God will judge at the end. You know what I'm saying? And difficult things have happened to you and to different people in church and in life, and what I'm saying is you cannot allow that thing to determine how you're going to live for the rest of your life. Because you're going to get hurt, and if you've not been hurt, you're going to get hurt by somebody in church. They're going to do something, somebody's going to say something, something difficult is going to happen, but you cannot allow that bitterness to begin to determine how you're going to live and how you're going to view the body of Christ at large. A Christian must be connected to the body of Christ. No matter how perfect or imperfect that is, when God calls a Christian, He never calls them to say, you're going to do this thing alone at home and you're going to watch preachers on TV and do this thing outside of community. He never says that. The, the church is a community. And to be a Christian is to be baptized into the church. It's to be a member of that body. And listen, that body is not just the City of Hope Church. It's the church at large. The Baptists down here are our brothers and sisters. The Presbyterians, they believe in the same Christ we believe in. They are our brothers and sisters. There's to be no division between us. We look differently. We worship differently. We may do things differently. But at the end of the day, we are still pursuing the same God, worshiping the same God, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Amen. But how many... How many wounded brothers and sisters are there in our community? Their blood cries from the ground. Their blood is crying from the ground because they've been wounded by the church. I remember somebody that says that, 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 that the only army who, who ends up killing their wounded are, are Christians, right? Somebody said that one time, and I don't know if there's any truth to that. I've not had that experience. You know, I've been wounded by people, and people have said some hurtful things about me when I've made decisions that they didn't want me to make. But it's never been anything where I couldn't recognize, Lord, these people are just people. And I'm as, I'm as capable as, of saying as hurtful things about other people. And so I'm going to forgive them, God, and I'm going to love them. And I'm not going to hold this to their charge. I'm going to release them because I can't allow this to affect me moving forward in my walk with you. Amen? We're co-laborers together with God. And it ought to be when we see the most brokenness and the most evil speaking that we ought to begin to speak life into these situations. To build the house of God up. To build one another up. To strengthen one another. You know what? Even when somebody hurts you, you know what the Christ thing is to do? To speak life into that person that hurts you. Jesus said, bless those who curse you. Bless and curse not. Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Love your enemies. When they curse you, bless them. Speak blessing over their life. This is what Jesus has called us to. But oftentimes when people curse us or persecute us or hurt us or say an evil thing about us, well, you know, I ain't going to talk bad about them, but I'll tell you what they did. That's not blessing them. That's called gossip. I've done it several times. And every time I've done it, the Lord has convicted my heart and said, is this what I've called you to, son? You know you're better than that. That's not what I've called you to. I've called you to love these people. I've called you to bless these people. And your blessing will actually transform their lives. Let's, let's look at some Proverbs just to get some wisdom in this situation. Proverbs chapter 26 is a good chapter on this. Let's look at verse 18 right quick, if you could throw that up. I love this one right here. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death. Next verse. 
is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. You ever had somebody in your life that'll just, that'll, that'll just say something as hurtful as I'll get out? And I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Anybody ever had that? Loving people. <laughs> Next verse. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no tailbearer, strife ceases. Do you know why that there, everywhere you go it seems like there's gossip, right? And you can't get away from it? It's because there's a tailbearer. Go back to the last one. Because there's a tailbearer there, and if, and if you get the tailbearer out, get the wood out. If you quit talking, get the wood off the fire, it'd probably go out. So you quit talking. You quit talking. You close your mouth. Next verse is a good one. The words of a tailbearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down into the inmost body. Here's what happens when somebody begins to gossip, and you can see it a mile away. But when they do it, as harmless as they seem... Now listen, I don't want to say anything bad. I don't want to hurt anybody by saying this. Uh, you know. That's, like, that, that's almost like a signifying. This is going to happen, right? They're getting ready to come with something. And they're choosing their words very carefully. But at the end of the day, you know it because if anybody's ever spoken anything about you and it's gotten back to you, what does it do? It enters your innermost being. It can even be a word that's not that bad when you think about it logically. You say, well, that's really not that bad. But somehow or another, it gets down to the inmost part of your body and begins to cause bitterness to happen. And what I'm saying is that if you know that that is going to cause that to, to happen in that person, we ought to be a little bit more diligent about not allowing it to come out of our mouth. Amen? Go to that next verse I got there. Fervent lips with a wicked heart are like earthenware covered with silver dross. Next verse. He who hates disguises it with his lips and lays up deceit within himself. He who hates disguises it with his lips. Now this word disguises is a very interesting word. I looked it up and it literally means the, the definition for it is to scrutinize. He who hates scrutinizes with his lips and lays up deceit within himself. Now a person you say, well I don't hate anybody because when we think about hating somebody you think about like foaming out the mouth and chasing them with a blade or something, you know. Well nobody does that. But we've already defined that literally hate is to love less than the measure that God has called us to. So there can be a measure of hate in my life or a, a, a despising of someone. But it says that he disguises with his lips. In other words, that word, he scrutinizes with his lips. It can also mean that he examines in detail with careful, critical intention, attention or to look intently at with the eye. Now what he's saying is, is that somebody who hates is looking intently, but they're not looking intently with the eye of God. They're searching that person out and they're trying to find anything they can find that is flawed or messed up so that they can expose them, that they can hurt them, that they can speak about that. And you know what? Oftentimes, many people will gossip. You know why a lot of times people gossip? is because they're deeply insecure in themselves, but they've got a whole lot of pride and the only way they can feel better about themselves is if they tear somebody else down. It's a very difficult thing. I know y'all don't want to amen me, but I know that's been like, yeah, that's me. I've been there. Because every one of y'all been there. Every single one of y'all have been there. And I'm telling you, it is not the Spirit of God. So this should be helpful for us. I've been there. In order to make myself look better, I need to tear down somebody else because I'm deeply insecure and I have idols. And you know, you, get, you ever get around those people that they will actually talk to you about other people? And what they want to do is they're trying to manipulate you to control a situation to get you to view a person a certain way 
so that they can use you in this whole scheme of things. You ever had anybody do that? They're trying to change the way you view somebody else. And if they begin to change the way you view that person, all of a sudden you'll get around that person. That person's not said anything different to you. The only thing you know is secondhand information from a person who said something with just a little bit of tainted information that made you think less of that person. And now you're no longer looking at them with the eye of God, so you've got nothing good to say to them. You can't build them up. You're tearing them down with the very eye that you're looking at them with. I know this is good stuff. You don't have to amen me. I'll amen myself. Next verse, do I have any more up there out of Proverbs? I do not. So gossip, see, gossip oftentimes, it feels very trivial. Well, it ain't that big a deal. You know, we didn't say anything bad. But what gossip is, at the end of the day, is like having a house that looks so, so good on the outside, but inside there are termites eating the inner framework of what that is. And I promise you, when you become a person, when you become a person, this is why when a person gets filled with the Holy Spirit, the first thing that God gets a hold of is their tongue. Why, whenever they got filled with the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, what did they do? They spoke in tongues and prophesied. Why? God was saying, now you're yielding your tongue to the Spirit of God. Because what you've done with your tongue up until this point is curse those who were created in the image of God. And no longer can I allow you to curse my creation but I've, because I've come to bless my creation. And if you're going to operate and be an ambassador for me, you will bless that which I've created in my image. And so the first thing that he had to get a hold of when he filled them with the Spirit was, was tongue, was their tongue. So see, that scrutinized. He who hates, he scrutinizes with his lips, it says. It can also mean to change the appearance of something. So in other words, he who hates changes someone's appearance. They change somebody's appearance. Now, what can happen, just like what Donald was saying this morning. I love that. I'm probably going to preach that somewhere pretty soon. That's just good. But what they change the appearance, not only of other people, but of God. Sometimes preachers change the appearance of God. They make you believe that God is angry. He's out to get you. He doesn't like you. He's upset with you. He's frustrated with you. And really, he wants to punish you because he just can't stand you any longer. And that is not the appearance of God. Let me tell you something. The appearance of God, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. If I want to see what God looks like, I need to see Jesus. I need to see the man who reached out to the woman caught in adultery and says, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I need to see the man who went into the temple on the Sabbath when the religious people were criticizing him and saying, Will you heal on the Sabbath? And he told the man with a withered hand to stretch out his hand. I need to see the man that said he will leave the 99 that are righteous to go after the one that is lost and hunt him down and put him on his shoulders and carry him back. I need to see that man. That is the image of God. But people want to change the appearance of God. Not only do people want to change the appearance of God, they want to change the appearance of believers. Now listen, I'm not for hypocrisy. I'm not for people who just go around doing ridiculous stuff. And if you do ridiculous stuff, here's the thing. We need people in authority that will come to correct you. But they're not, what they're not going to do, hopefully, is they're not going to talk about you behind your back and say, well, this person's done this, 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 and this. It's a terrible thing. And never confront you. If they love you, they will confront you privately and try to correct you in a loving manner. Why? Because they want to build your house up and they know that that behavior that is in your life right now is tearing your house down. 
And so they'll come with love to build your house up. But here is the image of the true believer. In Psalm 103, Psalm 103, let's look at the image of the true believer really quick. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Next verse. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Now see, when you are in Christ, when you are in Christ Jesus, the Bible says this. The Bible says in 1 John that I will actually have no fear in judgment. That when I come before judgment in God, when God judges me, He will judge me according to all of my works, what I've done in this body, whether good or bad. But it says that I will have no fear in that judgment because as He is, so am I in this world. That means that I've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And even though I'm not yet like Christ, I look like Him to God. That's hard for a lot of people to believe. He forgives all of my iniquities. He heals all of my diseases. Next verse. Who redeems your life from destruction. See, a Christian may not be where they're supposed to be yet, but they're getting there, and God is redeeming their life from every measure of destruction. That's why we want drug addicts, we want prostitutes, we want anybody who will to come in here and join this body of Christ because we will not look at you for what you were or the world that has bound you up. We will look at you for what God is making you and what you are becoming and what God has called you, and we will speak that into your life we're not going to resurrect the old nature we're not going to call out all of the things that you've done bad we're going to call out all of the good that God is going to bring into your life we're going to speak that into you we're going to build up our brother's house we no longer have a right what Jesus did on the cross stripped us of our right to judge anybody outside of these doors he said, you are ambassadors for Christ now, and you have the word of reconciliation, not of condemnation. We have that word that says there's an open door. Anybody who will, anybody who thirsts, come and drink of the water of life freely. Jesus loves you. He wants to redeem your life from destruction. And watch this. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. You're not perfect this morning, but God loves you so much, He's put a crown on your head of loving kindness and tender mercy. Why? Next verse. Because he has not dealt with us according to our sins. What if God dealt with me according to my sins? You know what I'd be? I'd be a smudge in the carpet. He would have just zapped me, and I'd just be a smudge right there in the carpet while I was worshiping. But he doesn't deal with me according to my sins, nor does he punish us according to our iniquities. Why? Next verse. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. He's got mercy extended for us and. For the world. Next verse. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. See, I want you, because, because if you get convicted this morning, you're probably going to get convicted because I've called out what you've been do doing with your tongue, right? You've been speaking some evil things, and you've probably gotten convicted. But even of those sins, of your gossip and of your mouth and of your evil speaking about others, God takes that sin this morning and casts it as far as the east is from the west and says, listen, remember what I've given you that tongue in your mouth for. It's to speak life into people. It's to prophesy good things over people. It's to proclaim the good news and tell them about Jesus and I've washed you from that now change what you're doing with your speech speak that which is good to the use of edifying of building others up because many choose to focus on death and they choose to not raise up life but we're not those people are we y'all those people that choose to focus on life aren't you let me look at another psalm really quick psalm 64 
Let's read through this. Y'all good? I got a lot of verses. Hear my voice, O God, in my meditation. I love Psalms because it's like it's, it's this guy, David, who is just pouring out his heart. And he's just giving you some honest prayers. Now listen to this. He says, hear my voice, O God, in my meditation. Preserve my life from fear of the enemy. You ever been afraid of your enemy? What he's going to do to you? What he's going to steal to you from you? What he's going to say about you? He says, preserve my life from the fear of the enemy. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the rebellion of the workers of iniquity. Next verse. Who sharpen their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows. Bitter words. Y'all still with me this morning? Now see, they bend their bows to shoot their arrows. Bitter words. Do you know that Satan's name, I don't know if you knew this or not. Oh, in, the, in, in Hebrew language, Satan literally means the accuser. That's why he's called the accuser of the brethren. When he comes to you, he brings a condemning accusation. A condemning accusation, right? When he comes to you, he's going to tell you how worthless you are, how messed up you are. That's not the voice of God. Never mistake it for the voice of God. But when a preacher or a Christian or somebody else comes to you with an accusation or a word of condemnation, they're not speaking on behalf of God. They're speaking on behalf of Satan. That doesn't mean that they won't come with love and correction. doesn't mean sometimes when they speak their love won't hurt you or wound you a bit because you do need to come to a place of repentance on occasion. But for the most part, we, we, well, for all parts, a Christian by, being led by the Holy Spirit will not speak a word of condemnation. It's not going to happen. So, but they speak bitter words that they may shoot in secret at the blameless. Suddenly they shoot at him. And do not fear. Look, they're shooting in secret at the blameless. And you say, well, I'm not blameless. Guess what? Jesus' blood has made you blameless. Suddenly they shoot at him. It says they search out iniquities. They ser- they're looking for things that you've done. They're looking for... You ever feel that way during the week? Like just during your week, you, you, you start to tally up all the things you've done wrong. So, well, my prayer's not going to work because I was lazy. I got angry when I was driving to work. I got to work and somebody said something to me. And I come one hair cussing at them. You know what I'm saying? And and all of a sudden you're feeling this spirit search out your iniquities and they're accomplishing a diligent search. Both the inward thought of every one of them and the heart is deep. Y'all ever been here? Next verse. But God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly they shall be wounded. So he will make them stumble over their own tongue and all who see them shall flee away. Now here's the thing. What you do with your tongue, you're going to end up reaping whatever you sow. You have life and death in the power of your tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. When you speak life, you're going to get life returned back to you. When you speak death, you better believe curse and death is coming back your way. And when you speak evil about people, that evil is going to come back to haunt you. You're going to trip over your own tongue. You're going to wish that you had never done it. You have the potential, just like Donald said, we have the potential to create an atmosphere with our words, with either the life or the death that we speak. And I'm called, we are called to build one another's house. Amen. Let me tell you a quick story right quick. I used to be, you know, an alcoholic, a drug addict, various things going on in my life that were totally ungodly. I was just that way for several years. And one time, one time when I was about 19 or 20, I think I was about maybe 20 years old, I decided to go to a church one time, actually a church of God down here, and I went in, and I was actually a little bit inebriated. I had, uh, I had gotten high that day, drank a little bit. And I went into the church, and I sat in the back. 
because I thought these people were weird and I didn't want to be near them. So I was going to sit as far back as I could. And so I did. I sat back as far as I could. But the reason I went was because they said this guy that was preaching was a prophet, which I thought, well, that's weird, too. So, but I want to see what he's got. You know, I want to see if this is like there's some kind of mystical thing going on or whatever. And at this time in my life, I was reading all these books, and I had these books laying around. They were New Age religion. They were different things, uh, some atheist stuff, different books. And I also had the Bible, and it was just laying around in my bedroom all over the place because I was searching for truth. I was hungry for truth. And this guy... He gets up, and as he's up there preaching, he just, he just kind of stops at one point, and he says, I just see somebody, he said, uh, I just see somebody in the Spirit, and he says, in your bedroom, you got books laying all around right here, and, and, and the Lord says you're searching for truth, and the Lord says that he's getting ready to open truth up to you, and he's going to show you some things, and he just went right back on into his message, and just like nothing, and I was back there like, <gasps> you know, it kind of scared me, it messed with me. And so at the end of the service, I'm still sitting there in the back waiting for everybody to leave. And he, and he just kind of walks to the back, and everybody's passing by me. Nobody's saying anything to me. And he stops, and he looks at me, and he just says, Hey, do you, do you, do you, uh, do you hear me talking about you up there, son? I just, I, I don't even remember what I said. I guess I said, yeah. And he, and he just looked at me, and he shook my hand, and he said, The Lord's going to use you to do great things, son. He saw, look, my eyes were pro- probably bloodshot. I was no more a Christian than anybody. But somehow or another, he saw something in me by the Spirit of God that he knew God was getting ready to do something in my life. And he didn't mention my sin. His prophetic anointing did not call out my sin. His prophetic anointing called out my potential in God. Because we think prophets are those who calls out everybody's sin. And I'm not saying that there's not a place for that. There is a place for that. But what I'm saying is that the new covenant, prophetic anointing, is primarily to call out your potential in God. What God is desiring to do in your life. Proverbs 20 verse 5 says this. This is what he did. Proverbs 20 verse 5. It says, counsel in the heart of man is as deep waters. Now, if you, you could put that up there, can, uh, Proverbs 20, verse 5. Counsel in the heart of man are as deep waters, and a man of understanding will draw it out. Now, the verse there actually says it can be translated, purpose in the heart of man are as deep waters, but a man of understanding will draw it out. See, you as Christians, there is purpose deep in every single person around you. And rather than seeing all the messed up stuff, you have to be able to see the purpose that is in their heart that's like deep waters, and you got to go drilling for that stuff. To draw it out. That's what he did in my life. Proverbs 15, verse 4. I'm finishing up. You guys can come to the music. Proverbs 15, verse 4 says... A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. That word wholesome, it literally means healing. A, now, you, you all even notice this. If somebody comes up and gives you a compliment, what's it do? It kind of lifts your spirit for the day, doesn't it? But if somebody says, well, huh, that looks terrible. What's that do? I mean, even in the natural, we understand what happens when people speak over us? And it says, A healing tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. We can either bring curative power or we can begin to throw a wrench into somebody's spirit and fracture their spirit. And there's so many places where seeds have been planted and they just need some healing water to come into their life. You believe that? So many people that need to hear the gospel, they need to hear good news. 
They don't need to hear the bad news. They've already heard it. Everywhere they go, there's bad news. They turn on the TV, there's bad news. They need to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that He's offering them new life, abundant life, forgiveness of sins, healing in their body to deliver them from destruction and to set their feet on a new path. And if we can become the Christian people who are anointed by the Spirit of God to bring this new life, I'm telling you, something's going to happen. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when you're led by the Holy Spirit, He gives you an anointing to speak His words into people's lives. That's what the Holy Spirit comes to do. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit now more than ever. The first mention of the Holy Spirit in the Bible says God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth became without form and void, and darkness was covering the face of the deep, and the Holy Spirit was brooding over the waters. Because right now I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is brooding over places where there's darkness. He's brooding over places where there's a void in people's lives. He's brooding over places where there's no form, nothing looks good, and He's brooding. And what is He waiting? What is He waiting for while He's brooding over this darkness? You know what the Holy Spirit was waiting for? He was waiting for God to speak. And God said, let there be light, and there was light in the midst of that darkness. And I'm telling you right now is that God has given His Holy Spirit to His church. We are the people where the Holy Spirit dwells. And right now He's brooding over places of darkness. He's brooding over places where there's voids. And He's waiting on the church to come into alignment with what He is speaking and to speak life into those situations. And when we do, it's going to release the power of the Holy Spirit to bring healing and to bring life. And when we talk about small groups, I'm telling you, we need to get into this. We need to get into this because we need to commit ourselves to one another. Not just get in small groups because they're a good program and we want our church to do this and do that. We don't care nothing about that. We want relationships to be functioning on a level where you are being filled with the Holy Spirit of God and you're pouring into people's lives and they're pouring into your life. Amen? You know, the Bible says to pursue love in 1 Corinthians 14 and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy say, well, I can't tell the future. Prophecy oftentimes is not telling the future. A lot of times prophecy is simply bringing a word from God that builds somebody up, that encourages them, and that brings them comfort. That's what the Bible says. And everyone in God has the potential to do that. You believe you have the potential to use your tongue to speak life into people? Let's stand to our feet. Let's bow our heads just for a moment and pray. Father, God, I thank you for your word. I, be I believe that your word has exposed some things this morning, but God, I believe also that it's brought life into some areas because it's reminded us of who we are and who we are not. God, we are the people of God. We're the children of God. We are the sons of da and daughters of God. And you've given us your spirit and you've taken control of our tongues, Lord, that we would never speak a corrupt word that would tear people down. But God, it would be a word that brings life, that brings transformation. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to speak into people's hearts and lives and that you would begin to arrest our tongues, God, that we would just be anointed. The Bible says, God, that in the last days you'd pour out your spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters would prophesy. I pray that, God, over this church. I pray that our sons, that our daughters, that the sons and daughters of God would prophesy. 
that they would speak your word, God, to this, this generation, to this community around us, God, in our families, in our workplaces, God. Would you anoint our lips to speak your word into our families, God, to raise up life where there's been death and to bring about transformation. God, I believe right now there's dark places in people's lives where the Holy Spirit is brooding. God, where there's brokenness, where there's hurt, where there's pain, where there's unforgiveness. And Lord Jesus, you're just speaking life into that right now.